0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. morning, Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up the series I've been teaching uh, today. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Four verses of Scripture, and I'm going to read one in James, the second chapter. 1 Peter 1, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned. That word unfeigned uh, is translated from the same word that's translated sincere in the New Testament. Love the brethren. See that you love one another. With a pure heart, the word pure is "hagnizo," which is the word for sanctify or set apart, to set apart our heart fervently, intently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all gra- flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is... The flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. In James 2, verse 8, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. There are many forms of identification that exist in particular vocations. Uh, Uniforms, every military branch has a uniform that's unique to them and you can tell which branch of the military they're in by the uniform they wear. Policemen wear uniform, firemen wear uniform, doctors, nurses. Most airlines outfit their employees with a uniform, fast food chains, grocery workers. Uh, there are other emblems, logos, symbols, signs, trademarks that different companies market their brand under, uh, like AT&T, Chase, IBM, Target. Almost every automobile has a unique kind of emblem or symbol they put on their automobiles to identify them and we have cultural identities the Amish can be identified by their dress and uh, by their transportation Mennonites are kind of like the Amish but they have a different type of attire they wear Uh, Those who call themselves apostolic or identify themselves as holiness because of their dress, mainly about how the women dress. Catholic, Anglican priests have uh, an identifying kind of garb that they wear. But Jesus affirms that there's only one icon of identification that identifies us as Christians. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's, I mean, wearing a burke is easy. A uh, lot of lot of disciplines are easy, but this one, this one's tough. To love one another as I have loved you. Sometime in your leisure, look up in a strong concordance the phrase "one another." It occurs forty-one times in the New Testament. And John is the first apostle who ever emphasized the practical side of love. He wrote in his first epistle, chapter 3, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother, wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. The nature of a wicked person is always to denigrate a righteous person. Then he said, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, I wouldn't go quoting that to somebody who doesn't acknowledge God. But understand, this world is going to oppose everything you are and everything you stand for if you can fit in this world i think your christianity can be questioned we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren the word love there is agapeo which is divine love he that loveth not his brother abideth in death whosoever hateth Missio, detest his brother, is a murderer, and ye you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love, the agapeo of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to be under the obligation to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother in need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, there's no ambiguity to this scripture. I don't think you need an exegesis or an explanation of what it means. Paul uses the phrase unfeigned love. That comes from the Greek word hypokrisis, which is the word that's translated hypocrite. It's prefixed with an and, which negates uh, the non-hypocrite or unfeigned love without hypocrisy. It's also the scriptural phrase that is translated sincerity. And sincerity comes from a word that in ancient times, uh, there were, you know, different, Kiosks where you know uh it's used to be that way in poland when i first moved there that you went to one place to buy chicken another place to buy pork another place to buy beef another place to buy bread another place to buy uh dairy products another place to get eggs another place to get sausage uh no one merchant sold everything and uh there were merchants that sold pottery, vessels that hold, held their water, their oil, and their fluid. And a vessel that was sincere was it wasn't wax. Sometimes uh, over time, uh, sitting in a bazaar or whatever, a vessel would develop cracks in it. So what they would do is they would take wax and put on the inside of the crack to seal it. And that worked fine until something hot was poured into the pot and the wax would melt and then everything would leak out. So uh, sincerity meant that you didn't have any wax to cover up the holes. The phrase love the brethren comes from one Greek word, Philadelphia. Philio is to the love that we have for our families and friends uh Adelphus is brethren, so Philo Adelphus, Philadelphia is love of the brethren. This love is the kind of love that any human uh, should have for one another. It's a love that's founded on reasons. There are reasons to love a person. Uh, it's not hard to love a person who has the characteristics that spawn and encourage love. We know those kind of people, that they just, they're easy to love. Some of us are easy to love, and others require a good measure of effort uh, to love. It really, it really, it's true. It it really does. Uh, However, Peter urges us to have a deeper kind of love. It's the only quality of love that will sustain a relationship in difficult times, and that is that. See ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's not filial love. It's not brotherly love, but it's loving like God loves. It's a word that is sacrificial. Uh, we are even to agapeo our enemies, that we're to live a sacrificial life. Uh, to those who are our enemies, God's love is uniquely different than our kind of love. I think we can truthfully say that we need reasons to love a person. We look for reasons that we can love them and that they can be loved. But God never loves us because of anything. He always loves us in spite of anything. God doesn't need reasons. And when we love as humans, we look for reasons to love another person that we think deserves love. It can be justified why we love them. But divine love loves what is undeserving. Uh, whether or not it can give you justification or reasons why to love it. And in truth, it's the only way that God can love me. It's the only way that God can love you. Because if God needed reasons to love us, none of us have enough reasons for God to love us. Uh, Somewhere in life, Over a lifetime of relationship with an individual, you're going to act in a way that's not worthy of another person's love. It's just innate within us, and that's why forgiveness is so necessary. So God calls us as the church to love in a deeper context, not to love as humans love, but to love as God's love no marriage is easy at best Uh, every relationship that we have has to be worked at Uh, it has to be invested in because in all of us we have aspects about us that is difficult to love Uh, now many of us don't think we have these aspects but we do every body has reasons why another person cannot or or will not love them because we all possess aspects of our lives that are not easily loved one writer offered that i read this that the reason that god created women is that she was so confusing that a man would have no choice But to rely on him to live with her. Now, I can't find any Bible for that. That God created women to be so confusing that no man could live with them without relying on God to help him live with her and understand her. And I said, I can't find Bible for that. But however, I will be fair that I think this fits us men more than it does women. (laughs) Uh, The Scripture commands us to love our wife, agapeo love, because love doesn't come easy for a man. No man finds it easy to love another, but God commands a woman to honor her husband because over the course of a lifetime, the difficult thing for a woman is to maintain her honor for her husband. Uh, Sarah as a wise woman. The Bible said that she honored Abraham as she honored God. Now, did Abraham deserve the honor that Sarah gave God? Absolutely not. But by honoring Abraham as she honored God it kept abraham under god's authority and when abraham tried to get her to behave in a way that was detrimental to their relationship god intervened and controlled the heart of abraham believe it or not women this is wisdom the 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 thing that you can need to understand the best way for you to honor your husband as you honor God is to have a submissive spirit because even if he violates his authority by your submission, God has the ability to work on his heart and to change him and bring him to where there's harmony in the marriage When you live with a person in marriage, you relate to them in a different context than you live with anybody else. However, Jesus here is discussing enemies, not spouses, because enemies are the most difficult for us to love, that we are to love our enemies. We are commanded to pray for them who despitefully use us and Peter says to do it fervently. Now I have prayed fervently for a lot of things in my life, but I can only remember one time that I fervently prayed for an enemy. The Greek word here is ekteno, which means ekt is out, and teno means to stretch. Believe it or not. We need people in our lives who stretch us out to be able to love them, who challenge our ability to love them. You can learn more from those who test and try your Christianity than anyone who makes it easy for you to be a Christian. Muscle is built by resistance. Character is built by opposition. Do you realize that to grow in virtue, you need a devil? One of the things I couldn't understand when I first came in the church is God knowing everything. Why in the world did he create Lucifer knowing what he was going to do and become a devil? Evil forces stretch us out. We come, become Christians not only by the things that affirm us and benefit us, but we become Christian in a greater measure by the things that oppose us and the things that we're conflicted with. The people who stretch us, God puts them in our lives for our spiritual growth. They stretch us to love. If there are people in your life that stretch you to love them, Because when we're treated with hatred and disrespect, we have to stretch out to respond to them as a Christian is to respond. And I know that this is hard. I'm not a preacher speaking to you without understanding that this is the most difficult thing for me to do. I fail at it miserably often. And here's what I want to talk about today. All of that is a foundation. The problem that we have in America isn't Russia, it isn't China, it isn't Iran, it isn't North Korea. It's an inside problem. Not just inside America, but it's inside individual Americans. We are our own worst enemy. We are our problem. Our problem in society. Is that we have no internal ability to regulate ourselves as people. Everything in America is tried to be ruled externally, outside of us. Law after law after law after law after law after law law is passed. But the regulation of life is never external. It has to come from the inside. The problem in America isn't just the church. It's inside the Christians that are in the church. Today's biggest problem in the church is the church. The Achilles heel of Jesus has always been those who followed him, his disciples. When Caiaphas, the high priest, questioned Jesus... He asked him concerning his disciples because if Jesus was who he purported himself to be, surely those who benefited from his power, his miraculous gifts, and his grace would be there to testify on his behalf. But the Bible says all forsook him and fled. Christianity is about autonomy. Not just the sovereignty of God, but the autonomy of the human being. Autonomy is the freedom to do whatever you want to do. That's autonomy, the freedom to do whatever you want to do. But if you are loyal to something, and that loyalty has a greater polarization of you than your will, then you'll always answer to that higher authority. While the brotherhood is essential to our spiritual growth and development, each of us has to become responsible for our own behavior, our own actions, and our own Christianity. This church cannot build your Christianity. You have to build that. This church cannot encapsulate what you are as a Christian. Only you can make that decision and that choice from yourself. Now, the influence of a community is is tremendous. The fact that the Scripture tells us that we are to be of one mind and one accord is essential To the harmony of the body, cancer is just a maverick cell that decides that it is not going to obey. It is not going to live within the confines of the governing principle of our anatomic structure. It's 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 a maverick. It's a rebel. The influence of an environment, I think, has been essential to all of our. Christianity that we have developed in our life but now we have this mantra that springs that righteousness must come from the government enacting a law it's always external government has encroached in more and more invasive ways compounding the laws that are meant to govern us But you cannot impose anything outwardly on a person. That must occur inwardly. That's why God doesn't make us live for him. God could have created us without a free will. He could have created us with only the capacity to obey him. But he didn't do that. Because you cannot impose anything outwardly on a person. I think the Old Testament should serve as a template. The inadequacy of law imposed outside of a person of its efficacy and of its benefit. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with children. It doesn't work in the home. It doesn't work in the family. It doesn't work in the city, in the county, in the state, or in the nation, or in our world. God's New Testament approach was to take the law off the tables of stone and write them on the tables internally in our hearts and in our lives. The less... That government is eternalized, then there is the necessity for it to become more and more external. God didn't give law until after seven generations from Adam had lived. After seven generations, man became so wicked that God repented that he made man. The less government that we have on inside of us and the more that is imposed on us externally, we're now dealing with more anarchy in America than has ever existed in our history. More lawlessness, more defying the law. Some of the most important legislation Past in the last several disca- d- decades, calls evil good and good evil, which the Bible says that's reprobate. It is said that we are what we are by heritage more than we are by environment. In other words, that your heritage, the gene pool out of which you were birthed, has more influence on you than anything environmentally. I've seen the environment of the heritage of the church firsthand. I've witnessed the new birth completely alter the heritage of thousands of people. Our natural hearts fail us. In fact, it's impossible to live as a Christian humanly. It's impossible to obey this law out of your own human heart and out of your own goodwill. It's where we need to give God the government of our hearts. People that I find difficult to love, my prayer is, God, I know you love them. Take my heart and love them through me. Take control of my heart and my life. When I can't love you, God can. So I have to rely on him to love through me where I can't love this is a true story there was a, a plantation owner that was a hawaiian that owned a plantation of pineapples and he had this constant problem with theft people going into the fields and stealing his pineapples he tried everything he knew guards and all kind of stuff to keep people out of his plantation and nothing worked And one day, he was praying, and he said, God, I'm giving this plantation to you. It's yours. If you want to allow people to plunder and steal, they're your pineapples. You tolerate it. The theft stopped. The theft actually stopped. Jesus said the Pharisee's heart is like a cemetery. It's this beautiful mausoleum great on the exterior but full of dead men's bones inside and i think we've witnessed the duplicity of lawgivers during this pandemic they make rules they don't live by themselves as laws have grown in our society i've noticed this increase in lawlessness why because any place where legalism rules hypocrisy is manifested the same malady that inflected the Pharisee movement wherever legalism thrives hypocrisy rules and those who often purport to be the most upright are sometimes the most corrupt paul may or peter makes a statement that is critical to our understanding Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. The only way that you can love as God loves and live as God wants us to live is by being born of incorruptible seed. I had a guy in Atlanta that uh, had a horrible time with, with smoking and, and alcohol. He'd do good for a while, and then he'd fall off the wagon. He'd do good for a while, and he'd fall off the wagon. And he came come up to me one time. He said, Pastor, he said, every time I come to the altar, I'd get a case of the do-betters. He said, I can only do better for a little while our human genetics are corruptible we are rotten to the core your heart my heart everybody's heart is desperately wicked in all of its ways and who can know it human love just cannot last in any generation or any culture because it's corruptible it's born of corruptible seed And law cannot change the heart. Sometime, read 1 Corinthians 15 as a chapter and see how much Paul uses the word corruptible in it. It's always in relationship to what is mortal. I've observed something. Human mortality rate is 100%. The answer is we need new genetics, a better seed. Like our inheritance, it needs to be incorruptible, undefilable, and doesn't fade away. You cannot legislate bigotry out of a society. The answer is a new genetic. If you have bigotry in your life against any race, you do not possess the divine nature. You do not. Paul wrote to the Philippian church and said, but in lowness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is the only means of erasing racial bigotry in our culture. If we esteem others better than ourselves, that is that they're more worthy of love and respect than we are. You can't legislate it. If America should ever fall, it will not be for a lack of external law, but the lack of moral autonomy, the lack of the ability of us to govern ourselves and to discipline ourselves. The moral autonomy to do those things that God counts as worthy and noble, that's the principles and values They're inculcated by God. Everyone born of human corruptible seed has a perishing quality. And those aspects of our lives that are born of corruptible seed have an expiration date. All of us are born with an expiration date because every aspect of human life is corruptible. If you look at the state of history, every culture began with hope and a bright future, but over time they degraded, 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 degraded into a state of decay until some force of power came from the outside and overthrew them and took them as captive. This is the inevitable result of every culture that has ever existed. When our nation was founded, we were founded on the principles of an otherworldly goal and aspiration as a nation. But not any longer. We know we're dying as a nation. We know it. But we spend little time thinking about it. Or preparing for it the success in that eternal world is all dependent on how we handle the inward world in this one the task of physical science is how to handle the latent resources of the external universe and we've excelled at this we handle and government and govern the Innate things, the physical aspects of our nature and culture far better than we do the spiritual. And I wonder if we'll ever bring into captivity our thoughts to the obedience of Christ. If we'll ever achieve that. Only God can supply the motives, the faith, the insight, the hopes, and the convictions by which a man can govern himself. I need God as king of my heart and my life because I'm incapable of governing myself and you are incapable of governing yourself amen like a caterpillar sometime in our life we have to die out to the wormy aspects of our life so the butterfly within us can emerge John states the acts has to be laid to the root, has to be laid to the root. One of the problems in the church today is there's no more repentance. There's no more repentance. Do you realize before Jesus could be introduced that John the Baptist had to come before him preaching the message of repentance? Because you can't, Turn to Jesus until you repent of what you have been and the way you have lived. The answer is incorruptible seed, something that doesn't perish. Every attribute that endures must be begotten by incorruptible seed. If it's not begotten by the word of God in your life and in my life, it it will expire. It will die. What on this planet is the only source that we have that's incorruptible? What do we have access to that only has the incorruptible ability that it can impart it to our lives? It's nothing but the word of God. Isaiah said, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely, people is grass the grass withereth the flower fadeth but the word of god shall stand forever this is a passage of scripture that peter quotes this is a passage that develops a contrast everything earthy grass animal people culture withers fades away it's terminal the only thing that will last ever is what's birthed in my life and your life out of the Word of God. That's all that will ever survive in our life. We have to be caution what's birthed in us. What's birthed in our family, what's birthed in our occupation, what's birthed in our relationships. The book of Jude is Jude is an often Overlooked epistle. It underscores a principle that I think is important to embrace. Whatever is born of fear or of emotion will not last. Jude said, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Anything else will not abide. It will not last here's the foundation of why obedience is so important seeing ye have purified your souls to the obeying of the truth through the spirit unto the unfeigned without wax love of the brethren pure hearts are only brought about by obedience to truth and obedience is not works Preaching and personal devotion through Bible study isn't pixie dust. Jesus said at Beth, he that heareth and doeth the words that I say unto you is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. All of us have heard enough preaching to save the world. It's time to hear the Word and to become the doers of the Word. It's time. Hearing the Word doesn't purify anybody's heart. Hearing the Word doesn't put a foundation under your life. It's obeying. Hearing brings greater responsibility. But it's the obedience that brings the life and the incorruptibility. Paul writing to Timothy states, through obedience to the word is a man's heart purified. You're not purified by reading the word. You're not purified by hearing the word. You're only purified by doing the word. I think all of us can see this missing gap in our life between what we know and what we give obedience to. For if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth from all unrighteousness. You can't have fellowship, real fellowship, if both parties aren't walking in the light. Light is revelation. Jesus said, I am the light, the word made flesh. When you walk, you don't look up at the sun. You don't look at the light. You look at what the light shines on. His light shines on the word of God. To walk means to adopt a lifestyle. It's not how you ambulate. It's how you live. The principles by which you live by. Like I said, looking like a Muslim woman in a burqa isn't all that hard to do. But being a Christian is impossible humanly. It's impossible. Obedience is tough. The trademarks of God's love are not easy. They weren't meant to be. Loving like God is the toughest thing in the world and it requires a pure heart. In challenging times, love will be the quality most necessary to survive the circumstances that are very difficult. If we love God, love as God loves, you cannot burglarize your own life. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking, taking heed thereunto according to thy word. The obedience calls us, that Peter calls us to, is not legalistic, not a legalistic adherence to the law, because the letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. The Holy Ghost is essential to Obedience. You cannot obey the Word of God without the Holy Ghost operating in your life and in your heart. So is the Holy Ghost essential to salvation? Absolutely. Absolutely. At this stage in my life, I'm becoming less focused on problems external to me and more focused on the problems that are inside of me. Yes, they do. The best means of me affecting the world without is to best manage the world inside of here. And I've been a very poor manager. The best means of me affecting the world without, again, is to manage the world on the inside of me. But I should have control of myself. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his own city. He that ruleth his spirit, that he that taketh the city. I have to take up my cross. You have to take up your cross, and your cross is not your spouse. Your your cross is you. Mine is heavier than I can carry in my own strength. As much as I'd, as I'd like to, you cannot carry the cross for another person. I need to do a better job of carrying my own cross than to worry about how you're doing with yours. One of the things that happens so often in the church is we get, the foc- we get to focus on people who we know are living marginal Christian lives. And we wonder why they don't see the writing on the wall and why they don't do like we're doing, because we're doing so much better. The best way to inspire somebody else to carry their cross is for you to carry yours. At this stage in my life with God, I'm seeking to become better at my own cross-bearing. better managing my own life. You realize that David had to fight a battle in the Valley of Elah before he ever encountered the giant. He had to rule his own spirit with the accusations that his brothers made against him. Had he failed in that, he would have never met the challenge of the giant in the valley. He had to win the battle of himself. I preached a message here years ago. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. You can't live for God for another person. You can't pray the prayers another person needs to pray. You cannot be the Christian for another person. If we would take better care of ourselves and impose the Word of God into our own lives, that's the only way that we can become a better church. I've used this illustration on many occasions. When the Ark of the Covenant was built, most of the implements in the tabernacle were forged sand molds were made and the silver and the gold were poured into them and they were shaped and formed but the cherubim were made out of beaten gold they were hand artifice because it would be impossible that both cherubims overlooking the ark would be identical There would have to be differences, maybe subtle differences, but there would be difference between them. But in the ark, their wings came over and touched one another, symbolizing fellowship. But their eyes, their gaze was on the mercy seat. Because the only way you can have fellowship in the presence of God is to keep your eyes on His mercy. Because when you start looking at one another and start making those comparisons between yourself and another person, you're not wise. You're not wise. We have to keep our eyes on His mercy in our own lives. I, I, I pray that the whole point of this lesson today is to inspire every one of us become better Christians. God is more worthy of a better Christian in me and in you than we are. We owe that to him. Amen. Let's take a break.